Hi, Eric. Hi, Aaron. How are you? Um, we have a subtitle to our podcast. Do you remember what it is? Uh, something about the Berkeley War. That's right. LDS Miscellany Through a Berkeley Lens. And we have with us another Berkeleyan. <laughs> Mr. Miscellany himself, David. That's right. David, would you like to say hello? Hello. That's right. Thanks for coming in, David. Thank you for having me. So we understand that you have an interest in the topic that we're talking about today. So today, and full alert, full spoiler alert going forward, we're doing The Good Place, the season, the series finale, episode four, point last of The Good Place. So if you haven't seen it, we're going to spoil the whole thing, and we're going to talk about it. Science says spoilers make things more enjoyable. That's true. <laughs> I feel so validated when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand you have an interest in The Good Place, and, uh, or uh, in general? or Yeah, I like The Good Place. Um, although I'm not sure if that's what's landed me here today. Okay. I think that has more to do with the fact that I have an interest in film and media. Excellent. Although I have watched all The Good Place and I enjoy it very much. Yeah. I am not a super fan like a lot of other people I know. Okay. Tell us about your interest in film and media. I just am a junkie for okay. it. I am one of those couch potato dreamers who wishes that they could have been a critic in another life or have made films. And I don't think that those daydreams will ever go away. But uh, I find a lot of fulfillment in it. The Oscars just happen, and that's my Super Bowl. Uh, and so I, I often tell people I like to watch movies like others that read books. Uh, that's great. Um, so we both, um, so Eric and I both realized that um, the Good Place finale specifically would be great to do an episode on for Face and Hat because of its, well, because of its awesome relationship to just theology in general, philosophy and the afterlife and things like that. Um, I'm super excited to talk about it. Okay, uh, well, Aaron, this is this is your idea. Start us off. Like, what's? Do you remember the moment where you decided? Specifically that we should talk about this? Yeah, so during the episode, what I saw so uh, was specifically that I was trying to understand what happens when a person is immortal for a very long time, right? And I found myself disagreeing with the central premise of the final episode. And so that made me, is what, because I felt like that it didn't align with what I understood about the afterlife. And that's what I thought would make it a good, a good discussion. Ironically, my wife uh -huh. had something of an opposite reaction. Uh -huh. And I don't know if The Good Place was part of what's gotten her thinking about this, but the last year or so she's been thinking about um, eternity as abysmally long and impossible and... And like it just doesn't make sense. Who would want to be around that long? So, so I think she's had sort of a different reaction to the finale. Ah, excellent. I heard so many good things people said about the finale, and I agreed with them. It was awesome. Um, but uh, but this particular part of how people would go through the door and evaporate and return their essence to the universe, I was like, I d no don't. That's not, <laughs> stop. <laughs> so that was my reaction to it. Um, what did you think, David? You know, for a show that took its time to set up a lot of its ideas and to break them down, I thought that the endings were incredibly rushed. Mm -hmm. that, they, that they went through all of this and then they come to the good place, the real good place, and then suddenly they're like, there's a problem. We're going to solve this in five minutes. It took us four seasons to solve all the other problems. Yeah. But this will be solved in five minutes by just putting a door and saying, hey, now you can die. Uh-huh. Um, I think that I had both reactions. So, Eric, for what Lindsay was feeling, I had that feeling when the Lisa Kudrow character was talking about how eternity was just too long and she wasn't having any fulfillment anymore. But I think I had the same reaction that you were having, Aaron, about going through the door because um, I think that there was a lot of variables they left out of the equations to make a nice, neat little ending that uh, didn't allow for any sort of progression except for into Hani's character. So that's one aspect that I want to talk about. I want to talk, essentially, I want to, f I want to talk about exaltation in general and how it relates 
to the to the good place finale, and I want to talk about redemption in general and how it relates to the good place finale. So, what if we started with a beat by beat, just quick recap of the of the finale? Okay, that'd be fine. I meant to rewatch it this afternoon, and I didn't. I fell asleep instead. So, so just a quick recap. So, um, the episode starts with Michael trying to learn the guitar. All right, and he's doing terribly. Right. Um, then we have Jason's dance party as he decides he's going to go through the door and he loses his locket. Okay. Then we have um, Tahani and start. She starts carving wood. Right, and she eventually decides that she's not going to leave. She has her party. Right, and then we have Chidi and Eleanor, and Chidi decides to leave, and Eleanor tries to stop and eventually accepts. Right. And then finally, we have Eleanor um, trying to work out things with Mindy and Michael, and then she goes to the door. And finally, the big payoff at the end is Michael saying, "Take it easy." Right. So that's just a quick beat by beat, uh, just a just a recap of of what happens. But essentially, we deal with the three of the four main characters coming to some kind of conclusion for their arcs, and the fourth character deciding to, to do something different. Wait, I'm confused. It, uh, who isn't doing something different also some kind of conclusion? Yes, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Can I... I know that we, we're going to talk about the exaltation parts, but can I tell you one thing that kind of bugged me about the show in general? Yeah. Was its lack of theology and religion. I understand that it had to be sanitized to make it so, because they wanted to have a platform to talk about philosophy and these ethics and these ideas and and an entertaining show, and to put in one religion would make it quite controversial. I get that, but in their in their effort to avoid dogma, they created dogma in which I don't think worked. That makes the show fall apart. In that, uh, for example, they talked about the Jeremy Laramie right. And it's supposed to be their attempt for uh, explaining uh, Mercé Eliade's sacred time, and as opposed to profane time. And so I don't know what that means. So, (laughs) so in a nutshell, uh, this was an idea. It's been an idea for a long time, but Eliade talked a lot about it, and he is a philosopher anthropologist who studied religion for many years. He's Romanian and. He's a very interesting character. But he talks about the idea that uh, profane time is linear time. There's beginning, there's an end. We, we grow and it goes in one direction and it only goes in that one direction. What we live in every day. Sacred time is when it comes to religious ideas are things that are happening at all points and that there is no real time. So, for example, the atonement uh, in LDS theology is that it's, it's always happening that right now the decisions and actions that we make are somehow having an effect on something that happened 2,000 years ago. Maybe that's a dumb example, but something like that where sacred time goes in a different way where we can access points, um, hierophanies, uh, sacred, sacred moments and experiences that happen so God can be omnipresent at that point. So in here, they talk about Jeremy Laramie in a way to explain how they're able to go back in time to bring them back to life even though they've lived for like 500 years after the first two seasons but if that's the case and not really following that by the time Michael gets back to the good place everybody will be gone because of the way they exam- the their the way that they went about it but in reality Eleanor and everybody should still be there they wouldn't have ever left and so the whole her going into the universe and then affecting him and then not being there when he returns wouldn't actually make sense. And so the avoidance of that dogma, and I know this is me pointing up my, putting up my glasses and writing in the comment <laughs> section, well, and actually, actually, they should have done this. Yeah. But it just seems like there would have been a lot of little moments that could have been more interesting to me had they introduced some theological ideas that were not specific to a particular religion. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're saying the the Jeremy the Jer- Jeremy Baramy. Baramy. Baramy yeah, Jeremy Baramy. <laughs> so you're saying that particular idea itself is from religious but wasn't called out as something religious. But they did use Buddhism in the final episode. So they didn't they didn't not use 
religious ideas. They, did they name check Buddhism? I was trying to remember. Yeah, they did. Because they, it, it feels like a pretty Mormon afterlife until it's suddenly a Buddhist afterlife. Right. That's very good. Can you go into more detail on like what do you mean? Sure. So um, there's this idea of progression, right? Uh-huh. But eventually you are perfect, and then um, that's where progression ends. Mm-hmm. And so you just dissolve back into intelligences, mm-hmm. and you land on people next to trash cans. That's right. But, yeah. Uh, but it's funny because what is Buddhism always touts itself as not a religion, and it's a philosophy. So I felt like they could get I away with it. that depends on the Buddhist. It does depend on some of the Buddhists, and, and the way that they describe nirvana and becoming exalted into a Buddha is different as well. I spent three days with a Buddhist nun in San Jose once, and she described it as Buddha means you become God, and that mm-hmm. was how she interpreted it, and that's how she lived her life, and so it is a little different, but, they, yeah. but one thing I have read pretty consistently is that they, they try to shuck the idea of religion over the idea of philosophy. My MTC companion uh, was an immigrant from Taiwan to the Seattle area. And his parents uh, joined the church in Taiwan because the Mormon view of the afterlife was just overlapped perfectly with their understanding of the Buddhist view of the afterlife. And so they found a lot of truth in that specifically, which is what led them to become Latter-day Saints. Okay, so this is what I really, really liked about the finale okay was the redemption okay so redemption of the of every, every single character except for two okay can you guys name the two characters that weren't redeemed by I the end of this I just looked at your notes okay but you don't get to say anything yeah. you haven't you haven't <laughs> looked okay so david what are the two characters that aren't redeemed by the end of the show one of them is somebody i completely forgot about yeah well, Janet, because she doesn't need redemption. Yeah, I wasn't counting oh, Janet. Yeah, that's a good point, though. I was, Karen, con- I was considering maybe her. That's uh, true. Fair enough. <laughs> I wasn't. Judge, and the judge never changed either. I, I actually do. Uh, Janet actually was redeemed, if you count the bad Janets. The Those actual, are separate entities. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. But the actual Janet um, was kind of redeemed too because she changed so much, right? Well, according to Margaret O of the Exponent, um, Janet develops from Alexa in the first episode to Heavenly Mother by the final episode. Oh, I like that reading. That's really good. <laughs> so that sounds like some kind of redemption, perhaps. That's good. Okay. Nope, but there are two. Okay, I'll tell you. The first one is... Go ahead. Uh, the Adam Scott character. Trevor, Adam Scott, Trevor. I managed to completely forget about. And the only... Um, and, I, and I'm going to give him a pass, all right? Because, you know, he, they probably couldn't get him. You know, there's probably there's probably a scheduling conflict, but I'm but the other one was Brent. Okay, so I'm gonna come back to Brent in a a second. I'm gonna give you a list of is that that's the that's the that's the jerk. uh, Yeah, from from season four. He but he's in the process. The the womanizer. So yeah, we're gonna come back to that. Here's a list of every character that was redeemed. Okay. 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 The frog guy. Because he gets a real frog? Yeah, why? because his character changes. That's what I'm trying to get at. Oh, so you're just talking about not eternal static. So this one's a bit wishy-washy. Okay, okay. fair enough. But the rest of them, I think, <laughs> I think are pretty solid. Okay, Sean and Vicky, so the actual demons, right? And every other demon. Jason's dad, mm-hmm. okay? Yes. Um, Doug uh, Fawcett. All right, Jason's right. entire dance crew. Jason's friend from the safe. I couldn't remember his name. I forgot about that. Yes, I don't remember his like name. Like Donkey. I've forgotten how he died. No, that was Donkey. Yeah. So Jason become Jason himself, who became an actual monk at the end of this at the end of the show. Tahani's sister and parents, the gossip guy. In other words, all four of the other test subjects, including um, Simone, um, the main cast, Glenn, and all the other demons, all of Eleanor's friends, including the uh, really bad one from the first season. And her mother. And and Eleanor's mother. Right, Chidi's childhood friend Mindy and Derek, and Brent is in the system, but I freeze framed on, and he's on attempt fifteen thousand seven hundred and four. I mean, that's a big number, but we're talking eternity, right? That big of a number. <laughs> so that's awesome, and and this is what I actually thought was really cool because um, it's a bit different than the LDS philosophy. Yes, what? can I read something to you? Yeah. Um, You are, uh, you've just made an enemy, Aaron. Okay. 
Bruce R. McConkie, uh-huh. is here rising from the dead to accuse you of committing one of the seven deadly heresies. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, heresy one is uh, that God is progressing in knowledge and learning new truths. Now, none of these characters are God, but... Um, Wait, this is one of the heresies. This is the first of the seven deadly heresies. Tawny is God. Arguably, I mean, how is she different from God, right? I mean, at this point, at the end, she's yeah. a god. She is an architect, and that's very godlike. Um, so, pr- Brother McConkie asks, "Will he one day, meaning God, learn something that will destroy the plan of salvation and turn man and the universe into an uncreated nothingness? Will he discover a better plan of salvation than the one he has already given to men and worlds without number? Isn't that essentially the overarching plot of the Good Place? Good Place is." The first deadly heresy, according to Brother McConkie. <laughs> because it implies progression in an un, in a being that should have not be progressible. Right, and, and it also implies that there might be a better system or a change in the system, or that. Um, and he goes on, and um, yeah, the uh, the kingdom, the kingdom idea. There's there's a lot of stuff that he doesn't really care for, and I'm, I'm not saying that we should necessarily consider the seven deadly heresies talk heresy five is there will be no progression uh, well heresy five is there is progression from kingdom to kingdom um which i think is what the good place is all about this is what i wanted to talk about so what do you guys think so okay so let's so just a quick definition right we have you die you go to spirit world there's a period of time you're resurrected you're assigned to one of three kingdoms right celestial terrestrial and the telestial kingdom and the reason i'm being a bit pedantic here is because we actually have some non-LDS uh, listeners. So I want to make sure we use, uh, we define our vocabulary as if we need to. What do you think? What do you think the church teaches about mm. movement between the kingdoms after judgment? Oh, yeah, I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> <laughs> so this gets to one of my, so I think one of the most difficult things about being a Latter-day Saint is humility. Because we absolutely think that that is an attribute we should possess, and we are also extremely and constantly guilty of none of it, right? We know how the afterlife works. Uh, the number of times that um, I've heard people comment post someone's death, like, well, at least we know what's going to happen, so we don't have that kind of suffering that other people have, like... I think it's nonsense, frankly. Like, we may have some kind of roadmap, but the idea that we know what's going to happen in the afterlife just seems grotesquely prideful. We don't know that much. This is one of the, this is what got me so excited about this finale, is that nearly every character was redeemed. Which, if you applied it to LDS theology, if you assume, as Bruce R. McConkie said here, that you can't move between kingdoms, would not be possible. Well, there's kind of a universalist thrust to... Mormon theology, right? The idea that everyone is saved in some way, except for the handful of people who go to outer darkness. Everyone is saved in some way. Everybody has some kind of good afterlife. But there is an answer to my question. What does the church teach? Oh, did you find like a gospel? So, something on the website that is... I found that on Fair Mormon. Oh. Do we count them as a good source? We we asked that question in the very first episode of Face and Hat. Do oh, we count Fair Mormon, Fair Mormon as, a, as a good source? And uh... I, Sure. I, I do. I don't know if they're authoritative. Like, do you know Fair Mormon, David? I don't. I thought you were referring to farms at first. But. No, I don't know that they're affiliated. But they, are they? Um, I, I actually don't know. I used to know the know. answer that question. But, yeah, um, it's on the About page. So while you're looking up that answer, how many uh, tries do you think it took Bruce R. McConkie to... I don't. Yeah. Question. Do Mormons believe that there is a progression between the three degrees of glory? And Fair Mormon says. There is no official pronouncement. Some leaders of the church have expressed deep skepticism. Skepticism. And there's a bunch of quotes. All right. But I wanted to read to you this specific passage from 1995 Boyd K. Packer. Okay. This is what he said. Some years ago, I was in Washington, D.C. with President Harold B. Lee. Early morning, he called me into his hotel room. He was sitting in his robe. Reading gospel doctrine. Wait, was he an angel at this point? Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Reading gospel doctrine by President Joseph Smith. He said, listen to this. 
That was too I have loud. a wild Jerusalem Smith quote, too. Okay. <laughs> Listen to this. Jesus had not finished his work when his body was slain. Neither did he finish it after his resurrection from the dead. Though he had accomplished the purpose for which he then came to the earth, he had not fulfilled all his work. And when will he? Not until he has redeemed and saved every son and daughter of our father Adam that have been or ever will be born upon this earth to the end of time, except the sons of perdition. That is his mission. We will not finish our work until we have saved ourselves, and then not until we have saved all depending on us. For we are to become saviors upon Mount Zion as well as Christ. We are all called we are called to this mission. There was never a time, the prophet Joseph Smith taught, when the spirit is too old to approach God. All are within the reach of pardoning mercy who have not committed the unpardonable sin. That came from the ensign. I used to accept that your kingdom assignment was permanent. So did I until but not I just, an hour or two ago when I found this quote. Oh really? Yeah. I, I just, <laughs> ultimately, though, I find it dissatisfying. That belief that there's no movement? Yes. Because I, I think the fundamental thing that LDS theology brings that is unique is this idea of eternal progression. And the idea that you have a 70-year sprint to make it on that train just seems inherently not in keeping with the character of God, as I understand him. So you don't subscribe to the idea that if you're in the terrestrial or, celest- or, terrestrial or uh, telestial kingdom, that uh, you're going to be Barbied and that you can only reach <laughs> a certain level, and that's where single people go? Speaking of Barbie, Joseph Billing <laughs> Smith said that some of the functions of the celestial body will not appear in terrestrial body, like the power of procreation. I take it, he says, that men and women will in these kingdoms be just what the so-called Christian world expects us all to be, neither man nor woman, merely immortal beings having received the resurrection. Who's, who's that Joseph was? Joseph Gilding Smith. Okay, wait, okay, interesting. So, so to come back to David's question, though, you want to jump in? I was just going to say, it is important to note, at the end of this Fair Mormon article, not only do they say the church does not take an official stance, but it also talks about who can actually speak for the church. Ah. <laughs> right, and it specifically says... Not, um, no not, above. not all statements from all general authorities <laughs> are considered canon. And so that's important. So this go, is, go ahead. Uh, this is a point I've made in previous episodes, and it is something that I think is true. Um, when it comes to stuff that we do not know and perhaps cannot know, I think this might be a question that we simply just can't understand um, the answer to, no matter how clearly God explains it to us. When you, when you see something like, like Enoch's vision of seeing everything, like everything, right? He never really tries to explain that to us. Moses sees everything. He never really tries to explain. I think there's some things that cannot be understood by us at this point. And that's why I think that um, we have like ecclesiastical authority to teach us in one way. And then we have the poets who teach us in another way. And I think what poets do is they ask questions and they explore possibilities. So, um, I have two examples of poets today. The first one's actually a short story. I use poet as sort of a stand-in for, like, artists, right? Um, an acquaintance of mine, D. Michael Martindale, who has said that art is something about which perfect beings can disagree. And I love that idea, that when we're all perfect and we're all celestial, it doesn't mean we'll all think exactly the same way. And there will be things in which we can disagree, and that is, I think, a really satisfying and well-known definition of art. So, first... First example, this is a short story by um, Roger Terry. This was published in the Dialogue in dialogue 10 years ago. Uh, of which we're a proud member. Yes. Um, so whenever you want to jump in and do our little pitch this week, you're certainly welcome to. But I'm going to read you the first couple paragraphs of the short story. It was called Eternal Misfit by Roger Terry. Kim had been in the terrestrial kingdom for 5,036 years, 2 months, and 17 days when it occurred to him that he was bored. So he like leaves the library. He goes to his house. He wants to. He realizes for the first time he wants to lay down, but there's no beds because there's no. Nobody ever has to lay down in the terrestrial kingdom. What's wrong with me? He wondered aloud. He lay there for a long time on his sofa because there's no beds. How could anything be wrong? The terrestrial kingdom was like Utopia, Shangri-La, the Garden of Eden, and Camelot all wrapped into one. The weather was mostly sunny and warm, with a slight breeze to crest the nerve endings and an occasional rain shower to refresh the plant life. Social order and perfect peace reigned. Anyway, Kim is suddenly dissatisfied. He had been a very boring, very safe person in his earth life. Oh. Floodgates are open upstairs. Um, he became a very boring and safe resurrected person. And now thousands of years into this, he's bored. So he uh, 
he comes to the idea that we need opposition. He tries to create evil so that people will have to choose and, and be good. He, he introduces soccer so that there's competition. And, um, and the end of the story is a great story. I highly recommend it, and I'm spoiling it for you right now. But at the end of the story, he gets visited by some uh, men in black from the Celestial Kingdom <laughs> uh, who give him an opportunity to become an immortal person to go into a specific set of circumstances where he will have a choice to return to mortality. In other words, he's being given the opportunity to, to enter a Garden of Eden and be an Adam and start a new realm of mortality because you have to have immortal people to make that choice hmm. to like sacrifice their immortality. It's I'm not saying this is doctrine, right? This is totally speculative. Yeah. But the advantage to this kind of story, or the good place for that matter, is that it lets us explore questions without the need to be right or wrong, the need to like say this is theologically exactly what we believe, because that's very limiting and constraining to our imaginations. We try to imagine something. Is there boredom in the celestial kingdom? Well, I think that's what the good place suggests might be true, right? You might reach a point where it ends. But that's because they had no concept of progression in their in in the way that we have extra ideas. So the Tahani, I feel like she gets a little bit of it, but some of the things that are devoid in the wait before you go any, before you go any farther, I actually have a list of the things that Tahani learns. Oh, I free fra freeze framed on that. Do you, want to, do you want to hear it really quick? Sure. Okay. So she land. She know. She by by the time that scene happens, she has landed a triple axle. She solved the point care conjecture. She became an opera singer. She burped the alphabet. She was a master woodworker. All right. And then other Ron things. Ronson said so. Yeah, because Ron Swanson said so. All right. Her next task was to repave a driveway, become a master conductor of a train or an orchestra, beat NBA Jam. Yeah, both. It says both. It's two separate items, right? Beat NBA Jam on All Star, Free Solo, The Colossus of Rhodes, and that list was already in the 9300s, meaning she had already done 9300 other things. And at the end of the episode, when she decides that she's finished, she feels complete, is what she says. It was at 11K. That's okay. That actually helps my point even more. Okay. Everything that you listed there was very was very selfish. It was all surrounding one person and internal needs of what she wanted to do. They felt accomplished by what they wanted to do. What Tahani did that was different from what the others did was that she wanted to go on and help people. And there is not going to be an end to that progression because she will then have uh, students and she will be a steward over people and their progression becomes her progression. There are no children in the good place. There are no families in the good place. Yeah. There are no ideas There are of, sort of maybe soulmates, but that's a little mushy. Kind of, yeah. And it, everything about their decision to go to the, to move on is, uh, boiling it down, is, is selfish. And so that's where their progression ends. There would be more if they went on with the LDS theology. I'm not saying that the show should have been LDS, but... but the, the point of our progression is not about I get to be a god and I get to make dinosaurs. No, it's about... <laughs> Speak it's for a, yourself, dude. <laughs> I mean, I personally want to make griffins if I get to oh, be there. Nice. But, um, <laughs> but it's about our posterity, right? At right. least that's the way of, I've understood it. And that's why I think Tahani is the most Mormon, as you had said earlier. Yeah. Uh, this is a connection to her earthly family that is, that's more important to her goals than the other characters, and then also she has this this creation aspect to her afterwards. Yeah. Okay, so this is the thing that I love most about Tahani's development, all right? Because I really do agree that it most encapsulates what exaltation means to, to LDS folks. Joseph Fielding Smith, no. different than Joseph Smith F. F. Smith. Oh, no, I, that's who, I was talking about Joseph Fielding. Oh, okay, Smith. okay. Yeah. Well, he said... Special guest star, Joseph Fielding Smith. <laughs> All right. They shall increase in knowledge, wisdom, and power, 
going from grace to grace until the fullness of the perfect day shall burst upon them. It's a very classic LDS quote, right? Mm -hmm. And this is what I, you can actually see, you can actually see in the episode when the fullness of the perfect day bursts upon Tahani. When she realizes that she is complete and that she doesn't want to go and that she wants to instead start helping others, right? And it goes back to that, to what you said and to the quote earlier from um, Boyd K. Packer's experience, right? Where you save yourself first, right? You, and then you work on others. So I actually think that there, you said it was selfish to learn all these things, but to live the kind of life that God lives, which is the LDS definition of exaltation, in my opinion, there has to be a period of education, right? There has to be, I mean, however much you don't like physics, maths, biology, whatever, right? I just think that the only way to internalize exaltation is that, there, is that you, have to, you have to learn. To, again, I think we've quoted this before, um, Dr. Strange, Maybe we did this analogy already. If so, it's been a while. I don't recall it. So Doctor Strange is sitting. Um, so Doctor Strange is sitting in the uh, sitting there with the Supreme Sorceress, and he's, his hands are trembling, and he can't make any of the magic work. Okay. And he says, "I just can't do it. You can just these other people can just do all this amazing stuff, right? But I can't do it." And then he says, "How do I get from there, from from here to there?" And she asks, how did you become a surgeon? Right? Well, through years of study and practice. And that's what she says. Well, there you go. <laughs> so this is the part. So Tahani, of the four, Tahani is the one that really exemplifies LDS exaltation. Now, I'm wondering if they didn't do that on purpose. Uh, do what on purpose? Make her Mormon? Well, I'm guessing that's not it. No, I'm just saying the hope. So Michael Schur. Michael Schur? I think it's Schur. Schur? The guy who um, was the producer, right? Yeah. This is the guy that was that came from Parks and Rec, yeah. and he had such a good show that they're like, okay, do whatever you want. And he settled on moral philosophy. Yeah. And normal it's so inclusive, right? <laughs> it just wouldn't surprise me if he knew a bit about Mormonism. And... It's possible. I mean, they did a lot of research. Here's a fun question. What other churches in the world, religious beliefs, believe in an, a deification like we do? You go to Eastern religions, they may have somewhat different definitions, but there would be many Buddhists and Sikhs and Taoists who would say that there is deity um, as the ultimate goal. And if you listen to some like Hindu mythology, it, the stories they tell about the gods are very similar to the stories we tell about ourselves, about sort of like endless... Um, endless versions of a particular god, right? Like coming at one after another through time. So, um, yeah. I, I don't think there's anything quite like us, but... but um, I, I, would, I would argue that Sikhism is, is probably the closest relative we have religiously. Um, the story of Guru Nanak and Joseph Smith are identical. Ruling canon, yeah. So I don't know about this. Go Tell me about it. Uh, quick. So my father's Sikh, and... Uh, so I, I wanted to do some research into it. Basically, about six, seven hundred years ago, there was a guy who was trying to decide between Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus in India, and he couldn't decide which religion to join. And so he decided to go away and to pray. And he received. He came back a few days later after having received a vision. He went down by a river, I think, to disappear. Does this story sound familiar at all? A little bit. And then he comes back and he creates. Uh, he writes a, a book which has become their guru. Um, it's their last guru. I think they have 12 gurus altogether. And they believe in a word of wisdom that is stricter than ours. They have garments. They have a temple. They have uh, tenets that are very similar to LDS theology. And if you talk to Sikhs and go to their Gubaros, I'm saying that incredibly wrong, um, but their temples, then... There's one just down the... Just down the road. And, uh, and if you go, they'll feed you make great food. Um, <laughs> cool. But, you know, they'll say that their job is to, to meditate and to become one with God till you become God. And so... That's awesome. 
it's there's there's some a lot of similarities. Would it surprise you to learn that the early Christian church believed in deification? No. Um, and in fact, that is something I knew, though I don't know how widely agreed that is among scholars. Or if I mean, that, isn't, isn't that, that sort of a Gnostic idea? Isn't that kind of the point of uh, knowing theology? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to go back to the original church. Yeah, the original <laughs> church. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but there's a great mural of uh, George Washington becoming God in Washington, D.C. Right, it's right here. It's also a Masonic oh. um, idea, idea. So this, co- this is called... Is that what that is? Oh, I'm familiar with that painting. I didn't know that's what it was about. Right, so we'll, we'll put a link in the notes. Um, this is the apotheosis, so apotheosis of apotheosis of George Washington. This is from the Wikipedia article on apotheosis, right? And it it is a more I don't know techie word. Is that a way to put it? To say deification. Yeah. Right. It's a specialized term. Right. So here is a quote from. So the Eastern the Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, still kind of believes believes in this from what I from what oh, I understand really? based on this article anyway right that could be I have no idea the Orthodox religions are all sort of overwhelmed by Catholics in my mind so so um, any differences between them I am unaware of here let me go ahead and find the thing I wanted to read well while you're doing that I'm gonna read a line from Michael Schur talking about the good place um, and it's from an article about how the, their understanding of the show changed as they were making the show. Um, as opposed to trying to become perfect, uh, you reach the understanding, Michael Schur says. As long as you're trying, you're on the right path. Um, which is sort of the philosophy that ground down into a single sentence of what the good place ends up. As long as you're trying and you're moving forward, then that's good. The old system is broken. As long as you're trying, you're going somewhere. Hmm, that is... It goes back to what you said originally, David, which is that there, the actual re- the religion is missing from the good place, right? So there, there's no redeemer, right? There, there, unless you count, unless you count like people helping each other, but there's no sacrifice for sin in the good place. Yes, and and they they try to heavily lean on ethics rather than morals. But I think if there's a lesson to be taught from the good place, it's that the learning and studying of ethics will not make you ethical or make you moral. And all of those lessons, they became moral people, not because of Chi's lessons, but in spite of them. Hmm. I think that's the idea of meta-ethics. Okay. I'll have to, I'll have to take a word for it. <laughs> Here's the quote I was trying to say. All right. The Westminster Dictionary of Christian Theology contains the following in an article titled Deification. Deification is for orthodoxy the goal of every Christian. Man, according to the Bible, is made in the image and likeness likeness of God. It is possible for man to become God, like God, to become deified, to become God in grace. This doctrine is based on many passages in the Old and New Testament. This is Eastern Orthodox? Yeah, West... I have no I idea. We were lo- lonely heretics in the Orthodox. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Um, and then it talks about St. Arrhenius in his famous phrase. So St. Arrhenius. Or as we like to call him in <laughs> other Christian circles, St. Aronius. Oh, no. <laughs> if the word has been made man, it is so that men may be made gods. And this beco- and becomes the standard in Greek theology. And in the 4th century, St. Athanasius repeats Arrhenius almost word for word. And in the 5th century, they, sends, we'll, they say we will become sons by participation. So what happens is that this teaching kind of falls out of favor, right? Mm-hmm. And then the Western question, I don't, I, I don't know that this is what they split over. I mean, I would have said that it was, I mean, wasn't it like King Louis or something? <laughs> oh, no, it was earlier. That was, this is way earlier, fair enough. Right? But the Roman Catholic Church has not used this term. Anyway, it became split, and then there became this gulf, right? As this, the churches diverged in the Western Catholic tradition, there became this gulf between man and God, where there's simply no way for you to become like him. He's so far away from us, right? Which is kind of how the good place starts. It embraces this gulf, where if you're a human, 
And at one point, even in this episode, when Tahani wants to become a god, um, Michael responds to her that she, that she can't, right? Yeah. You're a person. It's impossible, is what he says, right? And this gulf exists, right? And because of this gulf, the very human belief that immortality equals boredom is wrapped up in the good place. And this is one of the things I didn't like about that episode, is because we just reject it. Immortality does not equal boredom. I, I, you know, the first time I had ever thought of the concept of heavenly boredom was in high school when I had a friend who was a very devout Catholic. And he said, man, heaven's going to be so boring. What are you talking about? Heaven's supposed to be awesome. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, well, all you do is you sit on a cloud, you get your little heart, and you praise God for the rest of eternity. I don't really want to do that. <laughs> and it occurred to me, that was the first time that it had occurred to me the difference in our religion compared to everyone else's. And I think that as a high schooler, there is a sanitized version of doctrine that I didn't fully comprehend. And maybe it was not being taught to me. I don't know. What, whatever the circumstances, the variables may be. It was in that moment that I realized, wait, our heaven is cool. Because yes. we do stuff. <laughs> like, we have a job. And, like, you continue working. I think it was, uh, wasn't it Brigham Young who said, who had that vision of Joseph Smith and Joseph was busy and he had like papers in his hands oh, and he yes. was yeah, I've heard this. I, I have work to do and you've got work and you're going to be here soon and that sounds far more comforting to me than constant worship of God which I have always maybe this sounds bad I've always found that to be a turn off for me when it comes to other theologies who embrace the idea of just uh, Sort of a selfish God. Yeah. Well, and the familial relationships too, right? This is this is the other part that uh, just made me sad, and it made Eleanor sad, is when Chidi left, right? Yeah. And that's just it just drove me crazy. Um, it's like, and, it's, and Eleanor even says, "This is sad," <laughs> echoing what how I was feeling. <laughs> but I did, I you know, I did appreciate the encapsulation of many the encapsulation of many different apps afterlives in the in the show's finale i thought that was cool uh i think this is also a buddhist idea and then correct me if i'm wrong but the idea of not like being connected to everything which of course is the same thing as being connected to nothing right no special connections not really valuing one thing over another which seems to be the point that gets you when they enter through the door could i could i <laughs> grab another element of the good place that i felt like Okay. If there's one Christian church that takes all the fun out of it, it's us. <laughs> In that our angels no don't have again. don't have wings. They don't yeah. just magically appear. They walk through portals. Um, you know what? We, we don't have yeah. uh, science fiction magic. We don't have you know we we wear suits. Um, the the business and legal aspects of the good place and how professional it was mirrored LDS um, I don't want to say theology but LDS attitudes in that we we often say that God is the greatest scientist and you know our prophets unlike the Pope you know who has all of this you know wonderful costumes and everything that they right. wear you know our our prophets just wear suits and a tie that you could buy at any store yeah and um it, it takes a lot of that mysticism out which is what i find so great about your title because the early church had those kinds of elements but modern mormonism or lds thought or what do we call it now do we have a new Mormonism? That they kind of take all of that out, and the good place did that. It started off a little bit crazier, but as it continued on, it completely got rid of all the magic and mysticism of what the afterlife would be. I thought it's it's very scientific, and uh, and you know one of the tenets of our show is um uh, is science and 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 you know science and literature you could kind of say that those are kind of our our two our two tenants right and that's the th other thing that i really liked about the good place right is that there was no magic right it's just that janet 
knew everything, right? She had, if she looked like she was doing magic, it was because she was doing science things, right? And this is how we believe God works, is that he just knows how stuff works. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I'm a little disappointed in that. <laughs> I accept it. It's not like a huge deal breaker for me. But sometimes I wish, you know, sometimes I, I am jealous of Catholic theology, for example, because it's so much more exciting. Well, there is a bit of mysticism in Mormonism in its science, okay? And this comes back to the whole um, things that act and things that are acted upon, right? The idea is that matter is intelligence and so forth. And so I, I just remember this old talk I once heard that described it like this. When Christ says, you know, turns water into wine, right? This guy said that he was asking the wine, the water to become wine. Right? And because the water is made of intelligence, and because it's honor-bound to do what Christ says, because it respects him as a moral person, Wait, I have no idea. Uh, this isn't, I've, I've heard this before. You've heard, heard this before. When they say that you know, God can move a mountain, he's talking to the individual um, Intelligence. intelligences that will be listening to him. That's why, the phrase, that's why the phrase that we are lower than the dust of the earth, because the dust of the earth fulfills its purpose and because does not deny God. And is obedient. And is obedient, and we are not. Um, still, though, that like even that reinforces the idea that it's not magical. <laughs> yeah. It's honor. You know, you know, have you anybody read Brandon Sanderson here? I have not, but my son reads a lot of Brandon Sanderson. There's a, he's an author. One of his series is called the the um the Stormlight Archive. And in it there are these these spirits and they call them Spren. Okay. And he plays and he plays Magic the Gathering. So for me, he's like this trifecta of people that I like, right? <laughs> so some of them are called honor sprint, and they and they are and they respect people that are honorable, right? And they'll they'll help out because of that, essentially. So it's a it's very you know because he's LDS, of course, it seeps into his works, and it's very it's very cool to see that. So the first season is supposed to be a concept of hell is other people, which I believe the show actually, the first season is much like that play, No Exit. Have either of you ever read that? Is that Edward Albee? I don't, no, that thing doesn't sound familiar. Maybe you need to look it up. I think it's a philosopher who wrote this. I'm not that familiar with it. But there's a show, there's a play about people who are in hell, a handful of people. And oh, it's Sartre. Yes, and what tortures them is other people, and so I think that this show, the first season, is no exit, and I think that idea of hell as as personages that torture emotionally is what's really fascinating because we have that to an extent. Our definition of hell is uh, outside of the presence of. Without the presence of God, that would be hell. So we live in right. hell now. And not being able to have your family. So while they posit a world in a good place where hell is other people that tortures you, we posit that hell is you can't be with the people that you want to be with. And But I like that idea. I like that idea of the good place in our theology that hell is not um, pitchforks and eternal fires and... Uh, Penis smashers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anal they, spiders. Yeah, the, the penis smashing is the one they hit on the mo largest number of times. <laughs> um, I guess one um, final little bit as we um, as we wrap up, right? Um, just what a great what a great show it was, just from start to finish. Um, in my opinion, you maybe have more reservations of it, uh, just in general. Maybe no, yes. I enjoyed it. I thought yeah. it was cute. Uh huh. Um, I didn't get the fulfillment that a lot of people had, but that's fine. I mean, that's not that's not a criticism. It's just that it didn't resonate with me in the same way that it resonated with other people. But I watched every single episode, and I had to know what was going to happen next. So I think that speaks to the show. Did you guess the twist in the end of the first season? 
I unfortunately knew about that before I started watching the show. Oh, so it was it was after the fact. I did not. I saw it pseudo live. I had no idea that it was coming. A friend of mine guessed immediately. Oh really? Yes, and told his wife. Yeah, I think, I think they're in the bad place. Ted, Ted Danson's face. <laughs> if somebody knows where this quotation comes from, please let me know. I thought it was in the Hitchcock Truffaut interview. I thought Hitchcock said it to Truffaut, but I can't find it, so it might be from somewhere else. But someone said that the greatest special effects in film is watching a human face change from one emotion to another. Yeah. And Ted Danson's face, as he changes from cheerful architect Michael to demon Michael, yeah. is just incredible. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, if we're going to talk about the, the acting, I think that was probably one of the things that made it more difficult for me to latch on because in reality there was only two good actors in the show mm-hmm. and it was two people who had experience Ted Danson and Kristen Bell everybody else there were a lot of newbies new, yeah they were new not that they were bad but they weren't necessarily good the depth and the depth that Chris uh, that Bell and Danson brought to their roles I do not believe at least for me was felt in Tawny or in Jason maybe Chidi a little bit but well J- Jason the acting seemed Jason got the part. There's an interview of there's a like they sh- I've seen his uh, his tape, his audition tape, right? And he added a bit of a some tears when he was he was talking. I don't remember what he was talking about, but he just added added this little bit of a he couldn't believe that somebody would do something like, and it, it he just got the role because of that of this one. He just portrayed it so well. Jason, I thought, um, didn't need to be such a great actor as you're saying because he was just so funny all the time but um i do agree about bell um if you watch the if you watch if you rewatch the finale and watch her panic as she think realizes that chidi is going to be leaving every time you know you know chidi turns away her face just flashes with fear and pain right yeah. in a way that immediately tells you what's going on and it's it's fantastic also how is that the good place when Right. Succeeding at the good place leaves you with those kind of emotions. <laughs> Are there not tears in the celestial kingdom? Here. I have a poem. Okay. <laughs> this is by a Catholic poet, actually. Um, I, think it, I think it gets to what we're talking about, though. Uh, it's just 14 lines. Nothing in heaven functions as it ought. Peter's bifocals blindly sat on crack. His gates lurch wide with the cackle of a cock, not turned with the hush of gold as Milton had thought. Gains of the slaughtered innocents keep huffing the nimbus off the venerable bead, like that of an old dandelion gone to seed, and the beatific choir keeps breaking up, coughing. But hell, sleek hell, hath no free-willing part. None takes his own sweet time, none quickens pace. Ask anyone, how come you here, poor heart? And he will slot a quarter through his face. You'll hear an instant click. A tear will start, imprinted with an abstract of his case. The good place of the first episode was that kind of hell. Everything's perfect. I had some frozen yogurt today in celebration of this planned episode. Yeah, good. And I, uh, it's, it was good. As you wish on Solano. It's great. I had the dark chocolate and the raspberry. It was excellent. But the idea that that's heaven, like that, it rings hollow. Yeah. Also, it's too judgmental. I mean, yeah. I was on the way here, and come on, man, Fred Durst is a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only half-joking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I hope you enjoyed the uh, basketball that accompanied this episode, or the hockey. We're coming to you live from the basement of the Berkeley Ward, where life is occurring in all yep. its chaotic imperfection. Yep. We're a proud member of the Dialogue Podcasting Network. You should check out the shows. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, if you haven't watched The Good Place and you don't feel put off by all the spoilers from this episode... Give it a shot. Like I said, science says spoilers make things better.